0: What is up DER Task Force? James McGuinness here. We are so excited to release this first episode to you all. It's a topic that is particularly near and dear to my heart. I actually wrote an article on it about two years ago, which you can find on Medium, and eventually turned into a presentation for one of the early DER Task Force meetups at the David Energy offices. We recorded this a few months back, and we hope you find it interesting and that you may learn something. Before you do, we just wanted to let you know that there is a swear word or two. We try and keep it PG for the most part, but sometimes we, me in particular, get excited. So if you're listening with kids or something like that, just wanted to give you a heads up, but otherwise, enjoy. We have many a monument of past ages. We have the palaces and pyramids, the temples of the Greek and the cathedrals of Christendom. In them is exemplified the power of men, the greatness of nations, the love of art and religious devotion. But the monument at Niagara has something of its own, more in accord with our present thoughts and tendencies. It is a monument worthy of our scientific age, a true monument of enlightenment and of peace. It signifies the subjugation of natural forces to the service of man. The discontinuance of barbarous methods, the relieving of millions from wanton suffering. Whoa.:
1: Is, is that not Nikola Tesla?
0: That is 100 percent, Nikola Tesla.: Yeah: <laughs> If, if they 1895 were like... opening the Niagara Falls hydro plant. Wow. If, the if... fact that Colleen knew that is the greatest thing ever.
2: <laughs> I didn't realize he was like a good writer. Yeah, he was an all-around
1: mean... star and just underrepresented.
2: Wow. If there were a cult sort of built around energy, like that would definitely be in its Bible.
0: Yeah, I'm it's in my task force. Yeah. (laughs) So there's our our energy quote to start you off. Nikola Tesla said that in 1895 when opening the Niagara Falls power plant, which Which is particularly relevant to today's episode.
1: Totally. So I think today. When Tesla opened this, he was really starting this monumental tide of large centralized power systems that were traveling really far. And today's grid is moving more and more to decentralized systems that are generating power close to where they are. And that's creating a change in the need for grid infrastructure. Decentralized energy resources, or DERs, require different grid infrastructure and different ways of approaching how you plan to build a grid and some of the issues we're going to get into today surround the legacy system of franchise rights which I'm going to let James explain.
0: Well I would even just say that they give us another option for how to build a grid an option we didn't have really in the past and that's what you know I think that's what we want to root this conversation is is in is how can DERs reshape how we think about grid infrastructure? I don't think there's one right way or another. It's just there's going to be sort of emerging new ways of approaching this. And it's very different than how we've done it in the past. And I think the best example, there's like a lot of technological constraints and cultural constraints that went into how the grid was built. But a central principle or kind of sort of defining characteristic maybe of how the grid was built in the past is franchise rights. And so I think it's really important to unpack what they are and where they came from, because th- how we think about them in the future is is going to dictate how, how we build the grid with, it, with this central great new tool that we have to do it. So with that, you know, franchise rights is a pretty simple principle. Essentially, Utilities are called regulated monopolies because uh, they were basically given the right to be a monopoly in a certain territory. And that power is given to them via franchise rights. So they have the franchise or exclusive ability to build grid infrastructure in a given territory. So that last mile distribution, all the telephone wires that you see... Only say Con Edison in New York, or National Grid in National Grid territory, or PSENG, whatever your your utility is. The city or the municipality or whatever sort of governmental body said you're the only company that's allowed to build wires here. So as soon as someone tries to build electric grid or natural gas infrastructure. Across a public right of way, I think is how they state it. So if I'm going from building A to building B across a public road, they can step in and say, "No, you can't do that. We can do that."
2: So, so basically, the the local or state government, it, I mean, it can't prevent me from putting wires and pipes on my own property, but once I uh, am crossing into others' properties, that that's that's where the government can actually. Uh, declare sort of who's allowed to do what.
0: Well, not even the government, the utility.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, but this is granted by by the government. Right, yeah, exactly. Whereas they couldn't have made franchise rights on my own property. Uh, it's only when these things interact. Right.
0: Yeah. So I think, though, in California and New York, it's something like two, maybe three counterparties. So there is, like, some...
2: Like, small ability to, to privately interconnect right. properties.
1: Right, because I think what it's important to note is that franchise rights don't say that only one company can have the right. It just gives it's traditionally because it's viewed that one is most efficient. It's been given as a monopoly power, but there can be these sort of one-off agreements made um, by the city, state or regulator within the specific. Right. And so
0: most of this comes from, kind of like the 1920s or 30s when these Mm. franchise con Con ed is consolidated edison right like all these names point back to 70 80 100 years ago all these electricity companies that existed back then and you know there's good reason for it because it was kind of the wild west back then
1: totally yeah i mean if we think back to the tesla quote um that was you know kind of the beginning of this centralized system right But at first, when Edison came out with his light bulb um, and his local distributed generator, right, the original DER, we had all these power lines going across New York City, right? And it was just, to your point, total Wild West out there. Everyone had, you know, lines going everywhere. You could step on them in the street. And it was kind of chaotic. So I think we all can agree that there's some benefit towards having a streamlined well it was even i think it was
0: even worse than that like basically whether it was a trolley company or an industrial plant or whatever the private company was they kind of all built their own electricity infrastructure and so actually there was you know all these different grids all over the place and If you were in a territory, maybe there was people were getting ripped off, I think, probably in a lot of ways because Mm -hmm. someone would build this infrastructure and then you're not going to like rebuild that same infrastructure. Another company isn't going to do it. Like there's no reason to put two wires from two different systems into the same home. Wait. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So wait. What? So let's focus on what what were the downsides of this, right? Because as a microgrid project developer, like my pupils are dilating right now. Like (laughs) this sounds awesome. I can build so so many deals, right? But there there were downsides. Like what were they?
1: So interoperability is a huge one, right? So you.
0: Well, that's the today's term. I'm trying to think in like 1930s. What what was seen as the downside?
1: So. There were, I think, a couple of things. One is it was, you know, unsightly to have a lot of different wires running across the streets. Uh, another was that around local generation in particular, which was, I think, a problem at the time, though not today, was the size and pollution of these systems, right? They were very loud, and they emitted, um, you know, it was diesel, so it was not very clean. So there, I, I, I want to say specifically of reasons why we moved both from DERs, yeah. And also from wires, but I think fundamentally They
2: didn't know what PM2.5 was back then. I don't even know what that is. It's just death. It just <laughs> kills you slowly.
1: Um but I think the real the really big thing in terms of franchise rights and why were they given a natural monopoly, right? Those were things that were kind of annoying was the ability to create efficiencies of scale and to bring mm-hmm. down right. prices for everyone.
0: So I don't know if he was the first, but I think at least he was a pioneer, you know, Samuel Insull Mm -hmm. kind of, I don't know if he invented the word is that he went over to the UK and saw how all this stuff worked and then, and then kind of brought it back to the US. So the UK is like still probably ahead of us in some ways or like Europe. So I guess that's been a long-term trend, but I think he figured out two essential things. One was like the idea of capacity factor. So people were building diesel generators for every trolley company or for every, uh, home like in backyards or whatever it may be. And he was like, well, okay, that power plants on during the day and that home is only on at night. So why would I build two generators when I can just share the power generated? They get it during the day and they get it at night. So he realized that like uptime on a, on a, on an asset or capacity factor was important and then so he started creating the structure basically rate structures like where you're gonna get seven cents because i can move this during the day and you're gonna get nine because it's cheaper to do it you know or more expensive to do mm -hmm. at night or whatever it is and so he
2: basically unlocked the like original value of aggregation right exactly exactly
0: and so i don't know like what the i'm sure there's all sorts of people were good or bad at that or there's all sorts of political reasons but he essentially went to The municipal government eventually and was like look they made a deal you know he was like if you give me the exclusive right to build infrastructure here i will illuminate the entire city you know i'll power the whole city my company and in exchange you can regulate me right so that's like the dawn of a a regulated monopoly right where he wanted scale and he needed like the right of way to do that and, and kind of unify everything. And then in exchange, the, the, who knows if people were getting paid off or like, I, you know, I think that, Oh, interoperability and stuff is like a nice, um, you know, noble reason maybe for why this happened. <laughs> but I think, I, but, but well, I, think I think,
1: but there is a real, a real thing there, right? Because you're still building and creating new, you know, new buildings and homes and communities. And so if you have this sort of rogue connection, you know, you have 10 different microgrids and then I build a house and now I'm suddenly stuck with whatever these other people decided on, which might, which is true, I guess, of a regulated monopoly as well. But, you know, it's not, I guess, as easy to switch, right? So you're still sort of creating these small monopolies because you're not going to create new wires. It's every very, time. it's a
2: very sticky service. Um, yeah, <laughs> when when you have an off-grid microgrid, no one wants to like rebuild it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you're not you're not yeah. going to
0: build two different systems into yeah. the same house. So exactly. I think that t- truly back then like the real kind of underlying driver is grid infrastructure was maybe still is, we'll talk about that, a natural monopoly. I I think that's where regulated monopolies make sense in is something a natural monopoly like is you know, if there's one well in a country, that's a natural monopoly because whoever owns the gateway to that well just gives everyone water, right? Yep, so yep. that's probably a, a where you want to step in and say, okay, everyone needs to get a share of this, or whatever. You know, create mm-hmm. basically what we've done on on the electricity grid, but and um,
2: and also, I mean, you could imagine when a when a state say, you know, g- give franchise rights to Sam Insull, it's a compelling value proposition, right? The state. Buildings are paying, I'm uh, making this up, but 40 cents a kilowatt hour for their little, you know, backyard coal plant. And he's saying he can do it for 10, but he'll only do it if he knows he's not going to have a bunch of competitors spring up and like start stealing load and stranding his assets and stuff. Like you can, you can see why someone would say, okay, that makes sense to me. Let's yeah, no, I think,
0: yeah. I think it, it did make sense. And like if we had the same tools at our disposal today as we did then, I'd be super. just be like franchise rights make sense you know it's a natural monopoly regulate give the give the power to build (laughs) infrastructure to one person and regulate it like i don't know what the real benefit of not doing that is like i don't know what the argument for it is really right
1: and i think also at the time like the way that we ran power plants and the sort of ability to share data and even have data on what was happening you know data yeah data didn't exist right like da- data wasn't a thing that existed when the grid was originally built really in the way that it exists now and i think that's transitioned so much how we think about building things and how we think about the potential for collaboration on infrastructure and supply
2: and like standards as well right there was no ieee mm-hmm. that you know there was the, there was no nema like <laughs> none of this stuff existed right, right? so so it made perfect sense, I think, for someone. You, you know what the standard is? The way this company does it. <laughs> that, that's right. it. It's right. You know, it's done.
0: Well, I, it's funny. We're kind of there with batteries right now with like the mm-hmm. FDNY and stuff. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but anyways, so I, I think this, that kind of model is what basically in the 1930s with the New Deal. And I think I've said before, you know, the Green New Deal is sort of brilliantly named at least because we really did build out our grid emerging out of the new deal i think it was like 1932 was the utility holding act and the 1934 was the rural electrification act or something like that where we kind of decided as a country uh, that it was good to have electricity so you know the government stepped in behind building out all this infrastructure the right to do that uh, or scale it was handed to these these local franchises y- utilities so originally they were actually fully vertical monopolies so they owned the kind of last mile distribution they owned um the generators they owned the transmission wires so one company you know like consolidated edison or whatever would have owned the power plant at niagara the wires to take it down to new york city and then the kind of house-to-house distribution network within new york city and so that actually, in my mind, there's like kind of four eras on the grid. Mm-hmm. The first was like that kind of wild west, private local systems, uh, Duncan's pupils dilating. Like you can just build microgrids wherever you want. I was born in the wrong era. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then the grow and build era was when kind of taking Samuel Insell's model and and putting it kind of national. You know, we just built out this massive sort of national grid. And we needed to use franchise rights to do that. And that era kind of ended actually right in 1978 with PERPA. So that was when, you know, federally it was decided that if private generators could prove that building a power plant created avoided costs for utilities, that the utility would have to buy that power. So this basically was like the first step towards wholesale markets because it mandated that utilities buy power from private generators i could go build a power plant at niagara and be like you have to buy my power because i can prove that it's good for the consumer
1: right what i think is so interesting there is that the tie with the creation of a new market when you deregulate right because you can't just say okay utilities now have to buy this power they had to set up a whole new mechanism for how that worked and i think the reason that on the supply side it made a lot of sense at the time was because you know we'd spent all this money to get everything built but then once you have that and you're sort of like well why is someone who's controlling the wires and all of that really better or worse at you know at building generators why are the only
0: ones who get to decide when and where to Mm -hmm. build power plants like maybe if we did that in a more collective distributed fashion it would make a lot more sense and turns out that that it does (laughs) you know i think i don't know any energy people out there who argue that market deregulation at the wholesale level was was a bad thing i mean it's done well and poorly so that's where i think the argument can happen, but in general, you know, wholesale markets are seen as a as a good. No one's arguing out there like we should return to the vertical monopoly utility. Except well, Duncan. So there are maybe. some still vertically. So, yeah. so
2: I don't sincerely utilities. hold that position, but I do like have sort of like a bet with myself, where like part of me thinks the the vertically integrated utilities may end up decarbonizing faster because they don't have to do it optimally; they can just build stuff. Right. You know, as long as they get sort of their regulator support, or they which, could, which may be politically easy, right? Well, so they I could see maybe. I could see. Maybe, too, by I could see uh, so. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and again, like they could. I'm not really uh, advocating If you're Bernie, you're going to
0: shut down all the nukes and then. Uh... Bad idea.
2: Don't do that. <laughs> so. No, but I could see like maybe Excel Energy in Colorado just going like just crazy on wind and like getting to 75% renewables faster than everybody like quickly. But you could also say I'm not say... saying it's likely, but they have the power to do it. I Whereas mean, the, the here, direct
0: evidence we have is that the most deregulated market is like also the best renewables market. Yeah. So, yeah,
2: no, I'm with you. And
0: <laughs> that's that's my counter argument. Yeah, um,
1: I think it's it's an interesting idea to think through how it changes and how the policy of different states are sort of coming around to what decisions can get made based on the market that you've developed. But I think what is important is so PERPA comes we deregulate right. and we now have this increased competition which allows for you know even renewables to even come in to the market
0: right so i think i mean there is there's one like intermediary step there so i think it was 1992 was the energy policy act where now it wasn't just private companies could build generators it was if you own transmission level wires you have to transfer their power for them Mm -hmm. so it like opened up the network to anyone so obviously once you do that what, now what is this 2000... called?
2: Like the standard tariff or whatever?
0: I don't know. It was, I think it was just the Energy Policy Act. I mean,
2: yeah, yeah I guess n- now though, like if if you own transmission wires, you you sort of have to have this like standard tariff oh, that allows know. people to connect at standard pricing. I just know it is, like TCCs,
0: and... like transmission con- okay. congestion charges or something. You know, it's like when you're a rep, you, you... we don't have to get into yeah. that. But, but basically like private companies who own the wires, which are not just utilities anymore by the way utilities got eventually segmented from owning those wires uh in a lot of markets Mm -hmm. um those transmission network owners basically get paid for for the power that's getting transferred on them so around like 2000 i think texas was first but we started seeing wholesale market deregulations where what we now call isos were set up to manage matching you know utilities and load serving entities on one side the demand base uh, who handled all the customers and then private generators on the other so there's like this dynamic market that was created but it, it, it only happened because of perpa in 1978 and then also um, You know, whatever the act was in like the, the early 90s that that opened up that network and it, it made a lot of sense You know once the infrastructure mm-hmm. was built out Let's let generators compete, you know leads to better deployment of capital All all this all this stuff, right? And so now wholesale markets exist. So when you look at what's happening in Texas and renewable, um, Colleen, to your point, renewables getting deployed. These big solar farms are getting deployed in in deregulated markets. So the last, like, era in my yeah. mind that we're in now, the fourth, what was it? So it was, like, early local systems grow and build where we, like, built the whole grid and those wholesale markets until 2005 is when there was the national – ruling around net metering. So that was like the first, in my mind, that's PERPA for the distribution grid. That was like, if you build solar on your roof, Mm -hmm. the utility has to buy it back. Um, Which is the same, it's the same concept, right? So I think what's really, what I'm really fascinated by is something I always come back to is not just DERs, but how we're going to fundamentally build infrastructure differently than we have for the last hundred years on the grid because of these assets. And so we're in the middle right now. If, if you think of Perpa being in 1978 where mm-hmm. I think we're in like 1988, you know, like <laughs> tor and like wholesale markets were 2000 or. Yeah. Maybe- Cause I was
1: gonna say what's interesting there in that point is that we, we have the rule that says, you know, you have to be able to sell your power, but we don't really yet have that new market mechanism. And so I think that's tied into the infrastructure issues, right? Which is, how do you both value how that's going on? How do you share that data? How do you ensure people are actually getting equitable Mm -hmm. access and what is that standard tariff rate? Right. Because I think that is under a lot of debate.
0: Right. So that's the problem that New York Rev like set out to solve.
1: New York Rev for those who are new to this space is the reforming the energy vision. Uh, New York state in 2014 announced this sort of state policy goals and vision to creating innovative business models in order to help us get to a decarbonized future that enables a lot of more competition in the energy space
0: I think it was even more i mean it's like more it's a lot more comprehensive it was, it was than m- that even more specific like when you s- look at the original proceedings, it was like we drink the distributed kool aid, we need to set up a marketplace at the distribution level, so the iso The wholesale markets only exist at the transmission level. So there's a very real distinction between transmission infrastructure, which private companies can own, and distribution infrastructure, which is still only owned by, you know, there's still franchise rights there. So they're like, we need to create a marketplace at that level so that Bob down the block can buy, you know, Jane's solar that she's producing when she's not home, which currently is only done through net metering net energy metering where the utility gives a one-to-one credit every kilowatt hour of power that goes out i get a a credit on my bill for the power that i later consume and so obviously it's like a really blunt mechanism it's irrespective of time of day you know prices could be super high during Mm -hmm. the day and you're going to get the same price or they're low you know or maybe they're low and you still get that credit so someone's carrying that supply demand matching risk and it's not the customer who is producing the solar right
1: right not at all and in fact the customer who's producing the solar is getting the is actually receiving not just the supply cost but also the distribution cost and they're getting that back and so that's i think one of the reasons why states like New York have moved into trying to figure out what that value is. So there's, we won't go into it now, but there's this whole value of distributed energy resources, VDER, uh, proceeding, trying to figure out. Which we'll exactly talk about eventually, that.
0: but we'll stay away from that now. But they're, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to figure out the value. Yeah.
1: Of- Cause everyone feels like there's a value, I guess, to that point. And thinking about infrastructure and why DER right. There's value, not just to the generation, but to its proximity to other customers, it's low carbon footprint in a lot of cases and also you know the the freedom that it gives certain customers right i think people really care about energy freedom
0: right well so it's even just like oh we have this uh hydro plant in upstate new york and we got a it's really serving the load base in new york city so there's all this infrastructure we have to build between point a and point b but if we just put solar on someone's roof there's obviously you don't have to do that so there's some locational value which we've never had to assign in a market before because the the lmp the locational marginal pricing of wholesale power is just at the new york city level they're like okay how do we figure out what the value of Putting the solar right next to where it's consumed is. So just in the way we built wholesale markets around large, you know, centralized power plants, it's now like, okay, how do we build a market around this stuff, right? And that's, I mean, that's right. what New York Rev states, like we want a fully functional real-time market at the local level that's compensating these DERs or behind-the-meter assets appropriately. Like that's the, that's the goal of it.
1: Right. And so I guess to bring this back to franchise rights, do we think we can achieve that vision with franchise rights?
0: Well, so I mean, probably, right. But it's about like the best, I mean, the best way of doing it. I mean, I, so I have a thesis around this and mine is basically that, you know, obviously you can do it, but franchise rights in my mind are putting an artificial constraint on the value of DERs because if I'm building a a microgrid, Duncan, um, in building one, and they have a huge thermal load, and the building next door has a huge electric load, and I realize, hey, if I build a cogen plant in this basement, and then just sell the power, there's a counterparty right there who will buy all my power at six cents, and this whole thing's going to pencil out and be great. As soon as I try and build a wire over the public road <laughs> to go to that building next door the utility gonna be like nope you can't do that i'm gonna step in i have to build the infrastructure you have to pay me or better yet you have to export that power through my grid so going out like out the door and around the corner technically i mean that's not really how power works but just imagine it does and i'm gonna pay you um five cents and charge him 14 and go fuck yourself (laughs) so that's like in my mind, it it that maybe that's not what actually happens, but it's like there should be those two counterparties should be allowed to come up with some agreement. Building infrastructure could is one component of that, right? So on like a distributed level, I think there's a lot of interesting solutions that could be happening that aren't because we're not even really allowed to ask the question of like, hey, what what if a private developer just built some some wires?
2: Is the way to then sum up your thesis basically, you feel at one time franchise rights made sense because power really only came from one place. Um, The goal was to increase load factor as high as we can, which decreases everybody's costs. And the only way you could really do that is by one distributor of power. Um, so all the load was aggregated. But now where there's DERs that can generate power in various places, right? And uh, if, if yeah, if two parties want to transact and feel the economics of doing so are good, uh, why not? <laughs> uh, because we, we already have this sort of high load factor system in place as, as a default, I guess. Um, but But now there's really no like economic imperative. If it makes sense, people should be able to do it. If it doesn't, they won't. Is that essentially what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it's better to frame the conversation even around like, is is electric grid infrastructure a natural monopoly now? Because that's kind of when we said, okay, franchise rights should exist. That was the kind of first principle argument for it, right? It's like, okay, well, these diesel generators are really crappy <laughs> <laughs> capacity factors. They're really inefficient. But if we build like a huge coal plant the thermal this is something we didn't touch on earlier like the thermal thermodynamic efficiencies were far superior by building at scale at scale it was more efficient to build a big power plant and ship it than a lot of smaller power plants like that's kind of still true if you look at utility scale solar versus rooftop solar i guess in some sense Mm -hmm. like not of the panel itself but maybe on a on a cost factor but um well so it's not a thermodynamic argument it's just like a scale economies of scale argument is something fundamentally different about the DERs of today versus those of the 1930s when when all this came together and it may not even be a question of are these DERs superior but it it, it may be we're just better at building grid infrastructure like we figured out what a grid looks like whereas we didn't know what it looked like then we already have all this infrastructure we can replace parts as we need to we have standards but, we have right data we
2: have yeah
1: right yeah. but i guess so i i think i do disagree here because we do have standards and we have ways that things should be built and so if this is tying in, so there's maybe a nuanced disagreement here. If this is tying in to the electric grid, then there is sort of this question of, you know, maybe how do you value it, but why should you be building a new wire, you know, directly to this other person? Like from a contracting perspective, right, of you be you wanting to sell for six and have this person buy for six, we can get we can get to that. But I think from like a if you could work that out. I think we would agree that it would make sense to not build a new wire, right? If there's like a way to access the wire for free, let's just say for free for now, um, then you'd be like, okay, I don't really need to build my own wire, right? Or do you think there's benefit to building the wire even if So I it's think, free? I
0: think this, is gonna <laughs> this might make you guys mad, but so I'm very into generally complexity science. Like my favorite, I studied math as an undergrad in physics and, My favorite class was nonlinear dynamics and chaos. The idea is more that like the conversation around who should be able to build infrastructure and power plants where is so complex that you can't like model it. Like you can't be like, this is the single most efficient way of building grid infrastructure, putting this power plant here and there and like 10 smart PhDs in a room deciding it. Like I fundamentally do not think we're capable of doing that. So... To me, it's more about having the ability to ask the question of like, I think this will just work better if I do it this way and, and creating like guidelines and regulations and structures around it. Like, obviously this would all work through the PSC and everything. And then just like letting the result emerge out of those. So it's like, what are our goals? And then let's set up a framework to achieve those goals through incentive structures and then just let things emerge and progress towards them. Like, that's kind of like the theoretical academic argument towards it. And so basically what comes out of it is I'm just saying, like, we're not going to know until we try it.
1: Right. And I guess from my perspective on the risk side, I'm always like, well, what if it goes badly? And then who's, you know, who is that on? And is it worth like a 2% efficiency gain rather than
0: just going through the regular grid? Oh, you mean like in California? Like, who's that on? Can we talk about public safety power shutoffs for a sec?
2: I'm always up for talking about public safety power
0: shutoffs. I
1: mean, I think we know exactly. It's a great like,
0: example. It's like a real-time example of this playing out, right? So there's that. Right. I always come back to that. It was so mind-blowing to me to see just that Twitter picture of, like, <laughs> this guy had tweeted that he ra- he has a generator and his, his, uh, his uh, neighbor doesn't. So they like ran an extension cord and it was just a picture of like, you know, it was like a three pronged extension cord, like one going over to the house next door and and the other running into his loads and private mine. wires. Dude. And everyone was like private wires, franchise rights. You can't do that. <laughs> so that was like an emergent phenomenon that technically like if you look at it is illegal. And so like that makes no sense to me. So I'm not trying to make an argument about like the most efficient grid. It's like, we should be able to, on a case-by-case basis, make these determinations. So it's particularly true in California where we're seeing this basically socialized risk model of grid infrastructure break down. Like That's actually what we're watching in real time is that the utility had these franchise rights to build. They socialized that risk across everyone. And if you build wires that are starting all these fires, like now everyone the utility is like, we shouldn't carry that risk, you know, cause we're doing this public good. And, and we're, you know, we're, we're we we do not have to get all the way into the public safety power shutoff argument, but.
1: Right. And I do, I think we want to be like a little bit, a little bit careful there because that, that is not only a transmission problem, but a lot of the fires have been caused by transmission wires. And so I just want right. to sort it's of say like distribution. from yeah. a distribution yeah. perspective and thinking about distribution franchise rights, It's a fair point, right, of how do you build, I think, community microgrids is is a good example because I think that's something that a lot of states have been trying to build and franchise rights has become a bottleneck for that, right? Even in New York State, there are a bunch of proposed community microgrids that Mm -hmm. haven't yet gone forward because they're trying to figure that out and it is really complicated. I think part of the reason it gets complicated, though, is because, to your point, we don't know how it works and I think there's two ways of, of going about that, which is like, let's try it out, which we did a lot of when we were first building the grid because no one really knew what the grid worked, whether it worked or not. And people were willing to sort of accept shutoffs. And um, to date, people have been very risk averse. I think there's a question of whether California will change that risk aversion to testing new theories. I think that's a really valid point.
0: Well, I mean, because is we do have like the PSC and NEMA and all this stuff now, right? Like to Duncan's point. Like we we have standards that we didn't have in the 1930s. So there's that part of it. But the second part is, it's just, it ends up as a simple question in my mind. It's like, how in this environment do you act? And so if there's a township or just a cul-de-sac, like a neighborhood block, and they have had their power shut off for two to five days, six times this year, should you on the justification of franchise rights be allowed to step in and tell them that they can't build like a community microgrid or public infrastructure. And like, that's just such an obvious no to me. Like when you're talking about the public infrastructure failing, people should be able to mitigate or, or or like reconcile that in, in any way they can. So I don't think anyone's out there is making the argument like, no, the utility has to build that. Um, or, or I don't know. Maybe they are. But I'm saying, if you were to justify blocking a project that's serving customers who no longer have power because of the power public safety power shutoffs, on the grounds of franchise rights, that I'm like vehemently opposed to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that particular situation is a difficult one. But I also don't know that the solution to that situation is to build entirely new wires in that neighborhood so much as to, and I'm going to ask my my favorite resident uh, microgrid developer here to put my BS meter on. Um, I, like, personally think that we need better ability to utilize grid wires for both situations, and so whether it's, like, through using automatic reclosers, I don't know if this is physically possible.
2: Actually, Sunrun just, like, released a whole, like, big white paper on, like, how you design the distribution grid. Yeah, to like be like a bottoms up, grid a bottoms up, my, that like, yeah, yeah. Like That's like my dream,
1: like
0: nodal me too. islanding yeah, no, and like total. all kinds of stuff. Yeah,
2: like it's yeah. really cool.
0: Yeah, so I'm nodal, not, nodal not, like, islanding is the okay, word I was looking let me, for. Okay, let me interject here for anyone who's like, oh my god, this guy thinks we should go off Greater Island. I think it's so dumb to just be like, let's go back to private grids in every single backyard, obviously that's less efficient. I'm not making an argument for that. I'm saying if you want to build a bottom-up grid, you have to have the ability to ask these questions and and like build infrastructure in novel ways and stuff like that. Like bottom-up literally means the people on the ground are making these decisions Mm -hmm. and not like 10 PhDs in you know, a conference room somewhere who probably have the best of intentions in designing a good grid, but probably are not capable of, of taking into every single little data point that's out there. On James the is
2: a populist. That's what I'm realizing. <laughs> he <laughs> hates the elites. Yeah. Well, so one, one thing I think is, the guys like, want the people to get what they want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, just, I mean, what, what, so. One thing I think is interesting here is like, so you mentioned like one, version of what you feel might make sense is if there was sort of a standardized process to on a case-by-case basis evaluate whether private wires are okay and then like grant that right you know when it's deemed not to be a problem and what i think is really interesting is like while there's no standardized process that does exist right like we see cases out there where the psc the utilities some entities somehow kind of like almost i i don't know how this happens even like work out a deal like hudson yards for example yeah, exactly right? there's a bunch of private wires at hudson yards i have no idea how they did it
0: well so two things here i was saving this ace in the hole for for the argument so i'm glad you brought it up but in new york rev someone told me this at one of the RDR meetups that they were like guess what you know they were a lawyer they knew the policy in and out in whatever docket or whatever original, whatever legal, I don't even know. i sound like an idiot, but they legally, like they established the framework that on a case by case basis, you can bring to the PSC, like an argument to build private wires. So like, I'm not, I'm not some like fringe crazy person here. Like there's actually an ability to do this through New York rev. Right. So, But, yeah, in Hudson Yards' case, like, I bet it would – how many megawatts of, like, 15, 30 megawatts of new load they wanted to bring on? I think Con Ed was, like, we don't want – like, you're going to break our grid. Like, you have to build a a CHP plant. Like, I don't know if that's what actually happened, but I think it probably had something to do with it, right? Like –
1: Yeah, I think what was really beneficial there, too, is that it was all one – real estate developer building this whole complex so while they're private wires sort of from building to building it's all developed and owned by the same it's
2: it's, yeah it's still like one big kind of off taker yeah it's still
1: one yeah one big off taker and so as opposed to two off takers building private wires together and Mm so it is a bit of a nuanced situation yeah of course the whole point, right, and the, and these microgrid proposals came out post New York Rev, and so that's why they're supposed to be able to apply for and, in theory, get franchise rights. So I think I agree with you that there should be one-off cases available in, like, very specific situations. I'm not sure I agree with the neighborhood cul-de-sac, but I think, you know, like a school and a library wanting to create a mm-hmm. microgrid space for people to come to in a community after there's been a yeah. disaster, like – you can think about that type of space. I'm not sure that for me, like the private use is where I see the most gain. The, right.
2: The, the other big point with Hudson Yards too is this was a greenfield project, right? Right. So it's totally new infrastructure. Know, is, so there is, was no like competing wires, you know? Like right. So yeah. I have like
0: two. Well, first physically, like how that deal worked is really interesting, and it played out over a long time. So it's a it's a district energy plant. Go look up Frank Norcross; he's the man. So he works at related, but he basically built, you know, designed like he was kind of the guy who led building that plant. And it's like a 15 megawatt, I think, CHP plant. So it creates electricity and then there's, uh, you know, all that infrastructure set up. But then there's big water loops that carry like hot and cold water to each building. And that's how they heat and cool the buildings. So the the term for that is like district energy. So one, physically, I I, I forget how it's set up so the transfer switches are on like the other side of the utility infrastructure so normally right. like there's some weird where they did a special case where basically like related gets to decide when they're on the grid or when they're on their own power like however they did it normally the are they only switches,
2: on one or the other or can they parallel
0: i, I don't know okay yeah I mean, you know more about automatic transfer switches, but for whatever, however, it's normally done. They did the opposite; like it's on the other side of the utility infrastructure, like transformer or whatever. Hmm. Some interesting, like one. Yeah, because it's
1: like related equipment, the like conned equipment, related equipment, right? Ex-
0: yeah, something like that.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I and I think those. it was
0: just like an efficiency in how how they built the infrastructure, but. So, what Related does do is they pay, like, very high standby charges. So, basically, that standby charges make a lot of sense. That standby tariffs, it's like, yeah, 99% of the year I'm not going to be using your grid because I have this power source of my own. So, I'm going to pay you monthly to just, like, be there for me. Yeah, it's
1: basically
2: right? insurance. Oh, so yeah. they're, they're literally treating the grid as a standby generator yeah. insofar as they're, yeah, they're paying for standby. They're never using it. Right. And the grid is on an automatic transfer switch. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's what you mean by the opposite. I think I that's probably yeah. what it it's is. It's like yeah. when the big cogen goes down, yeah. the switches flip and we so, get, they go to Con Ed.
0: There's so many like interest. like I've been obsessed with this project is like, <laughs> because it's such a model for so many questions emerge out of this. Right. So one is like, would there have been a, an opportunity to like, oversize that plant like would that have been good for the grid and then it could export sometimes get that Um,
2: zone j money yeah Yeah. (laughs) like
0: actually i mean we we, we're so transmission constrained in new york like Mm -hmm. so so that's one question the second is is what is it like five city blocks there's so many buildings yeah Yeah, it's one counterparty but like it's oh, just so shows many that you can do this more efficiently.
2: It, it is, quote, a community microgrid. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole neighborhood. Yeah, it's so a whole neighborhood.
0: Back to the cul-de-sac was a bad example, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and the same is true, actually, when I was at UT, this you know, Hudson Yards actually came second to me because I did a tour of the UT microgrid when I was a student there, which totally blew my mind. It was also a district energy plant, and talking to the guy... Oh, my God. What's his name? He's also the man. Basically, like, runs his own 70-megawatt grid. It's crazy.
2: And they actually, like, sell back and stuff, No, they right? don't. He oh, said really? they
0: could, but they don't. That's what's hmm. crazy because they haven't implemented... Like, when Austin was in trouble, UT could export power, like, physically. They have excess capacity, but they don't because we haven't implemented the rules. And so I'm like, interesting. And more so than that, when you like look at all the CapEx and OpEx of what it takes to run that infrastructure, he's like, yeah, on a like, uh, amortized basis or however you want to look at it. We pay six cents per kilowatt hour for power and everyone in Austin pays 11 cents, you know? (laughs) So like when you, when you ask him, he's like very proud of that fact. So I'm like, here are two, you have a college campus and you have, hudson yards which are basically cities in their own right on their own power supply capable of exporting to the grid and they don't but like i don't know it's just it's like so fascinating to me that these are two examples of like new ways we could think about doing this right so i don't think i'm like you know radical enough to come out and say abolish franchise rights even though I, <laughs> I say that as a joke sometimes and everyone <laughs> all the, the time wor- i it's feel like, like you worst.
1: are radical enough to say that
0: <laughs> i know but it's more of a joke because it's like no one understands what i'm saying when i say it james Just like you're the, ra-
2: you're radicalizing young energy professionals no but
0: if it was, it was like it would, my point is to be like the worst campaign slogan ever like who's gonna rally behind like yeah abolish franchise rights you know <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a not, po- not, it's a
2: it's a populist argument not I, very I, catchy I, but i mean populism's in man
0: it's in. Yeah, I'm just with the tr- – No, I was, I, was, I was writing about this stuff pre-Trump, man. Come on. <laughs> um, and, and Bernie.
1: And Bernie. I was yeah. like, to be fair, not the no, only podcast in the – <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, No, but I think – Okay, so – Wait, can we back those- up for it's one more,
2: second? Okay, wait, so wait, wait, wait. Yeah, back there,
0: though, Like, for a sec. I'm just saying I'm, I'm very happy that New-, New York Rev, like, created a case for – Yeah. You can, whether it's Hudson Yards or some other project – you could like bring it to and be like, "Hey, I just want to like build this wire to that building." And, and, and like,
2: you're do- you're arguing maybe that should just be a bit more standardized, like yeah. a, a bit or easier even just, to do. Like, make sure we're
0: letting that happen because guess what? In California, they're not. It's called the parting load charges. Like, yeah.
1: So I think the fundamental nature of franchise rights at at the distribution grid is we're landing on. There are definitely certain cases where there's value in especially greenfield projects having more innovative models, right, that involve the utility in the conversation and in probably some of the build out of the infrastructure in order to ensure standards, ensure items, because I think we can all agree that that needs to be held to. Um, But I think there's still you know, fundamentally going to always be some sort of natural monopoly around wires at a distribution grid simply because you need kind of control and visibility so that you're not duplicating a lot of wires and you're not having crossing wires and you're keeping that standardization. So I think For me, I totally buy the sense that in the future you need to have probably a more streamlined process to create exceptions to franchise rights Mm -hmm. because right now the process is complicated. It's really only doable if you're a single off taker and we need to be able to build community microgrids better. I personally think that this um, nodal islanding on the distribution grid is my preferred method Keeping franchise rights in place, but allowing for permissions and maybe more forced sharing of the data and control right. of some of those wires once they're built.
0: Well yeah, so it sounds like Do I kind of agree with you? Did you, you kind of just <laughs> If we're in nineteen eighty eight, you kind of just described nineteen ninety two when we opened up the transmission network, wrestled it out of the hands of utilities. And uh, let people like Please you know set up a job. market <laughs> on top of it. I know, but that's, that's basically what you just said.
1: I mean, I think the addition, I, I think the creation of a market is, I mean, is a lot of what New York Rev is trying to do, right? And that the utility, I think, is still involved in that. I think it's just a question of how you allow for others to enter and become involved, which is a lot of what we've been piloting and moving. And so, yeah, I mean, are we are we four years away from that? We'll see. <laughs> but yeah. I think we're definitely moving towards, you know, if it's 1988 to 1992. No, you, but uh, maybe it's more like 1988
2: to 2005. right? <laughs> hmm
0: No, so you know what's funny is that I've gotten, like, far more... Even... <laughs> you may not agree with me after the last hour or so. Way less rabid on this point of franchise rights. Because I think it's more to me... Like, no one was talking about this two years ago. And we didn't have public safety power shutoffs like it was a very obscure point yeah. so it was like we need to get rid of these things but
2: <laughs> what things yeah, yeah, like, yeah it was like
0: yeah. almost my attempt to open up the overton window in a way <laughs> like let's start it out here but yeah i mean now that <laughs> like we've we've talked like i don't I, maybe even with so this is something i honestly haven't thought about that much but what about DERs today is different about DERs in the nineteen thirties? So we have solar, we have batteries, we have I guess you could say smart thermostats, we have cogen and probably more efficient natural gas generators, um, than like the just diesel whatever or like shovel. A lot of them were coal, coal as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah coal. coal yeah. So we're we're definitely better than that, but to the degree is it like not a natural monopoly anymore because the irony is is if we talk about natural gas like cogen hudson yards in texas guess what enables that gas gas, gas distribution infrastructure which is a hundred percent a natural monopoly you're only going to bury one set of pipes you know yeah totally so like <laughs> totally trust me i get the limitations of this
2: Ooh, that's interesting though because there's also a lot of advocacy for burying the wires now especially well, in wildfire ridden yeah. places Yeah. And I was going to say, so I
1: think that's actually one of the things that is, I think it's hard for me to take myself out of the New York City concept where I'm like, I really don't think it makes sense for anyone to be building this because most of the wires are underground. But I think if we go to areas that are more
2: sort of rural, rural, less dense, yeah,
1: less dense, that's where I think those exceptions, you know, while I know we talked yeah, about a of... community
0: microgrids and, and stuff. We're like, where, like we are very, we're very aligned on that. Yeah. But
1: even now you're seeing, um, you know, some non-wires alternatives in places where, you know, utilities are, are building essentially microgrids as well because they're sort of saying, well, we know that this wire, um, I think there's one case in California where there's, you know, one distribution wire that goes out to this pretty remote area and it has a lot of failures and so they're actually building infrastructure in that town to allow them to you know island in the event that the distribution wire goes down and you're like okay so they've built a community microgrid so i think to your point should a third party be able to manage that process i think that's an open question yeah but should they be building new wires for that no right So I think, again, there's a little bit of a nuance around the creation of a market around the wires versus the building of the wires, similar to the building of transmission versus the access to the transmission.
0: No, I I think you're right. We definitely start with open up the pipes for, like, create a market around it. Like, the act of 1992, which did that on the transmission level or whatever, before we have to talk about, like, who owns the wires. I think I'm more originally, you know, in my youth, like, (laughs) years ago but like (laughs) i was more just so angry with the state of DERs, or like Mm -hmm. it was more like if you kind of remove this that's ultimately the power that the utility holds and like what they we have to at least recognize that like that's what anoints the utility and that's why they argue for their fixed rate returns and and like why they have an ability to impede progress. And sometimes I don't think Con Ed does like there's great utilities out there and there's, there's ones that are still like vertically monopolized and just not acting in the best interest of people at all. But it's more just this idea of like, if people were allowed to work around this and and build it in their own way legally, like it, it's like a, it undercuts that power, like monopoly power in a way. So that's like the sort of, theoretical reasoning behind it but in practice like i'm actually way i'm like way more pr- pragmatic and i think we're very aligned on like community microgrids are dope like let's set up a micro m- uh, a market at the distribution level uh, i want that
2: on a shirt community microgrids are dope <laughs>
1: <Hashtag DJ laughs> wait
0: gears. we just talked about making yeah. shirts so
2: it sounds like we're in vague agreement yeah to differing levels that there are times In various scenarios, (laughs) where a check on franchise rights could make sense, right? Something I was that sort of just came to mind as we were talking about this is how does opposing franchise rights intersect with the obligation to serve? This is interesting. Yes, right.
0: Yes, no. This is actually like the key. This is what this is what I tried to talk about when I was saying like socialized risk in California.
2: Yeah, well, so the the, the initial kind of like 101 example that comes to my mind is if a new community is being built, um, you know, in some suburb or something, and we're in an era where franchise rights are not, you know, locked down, but they, they can be sort of avoided at times through some process. Is it a good idea for the utility to run wires to that community, right. knowing that, that investment may become well, stranded if people start like you know playing power games within it. What well, I, like, I think even even <laughs> or like, <laughs> like a better, go around and like connect to the community next door, right?
0: But an even more direct question there may be like, what if it's one person wanting to build a house in the middle of a like dry forest? <laughs> like, does yes. the utility have to run wires? Well, that and house? that's what the
1: utilities had to do. Maybe not for one house, but like.
0: But, I, but I'm saying it's like yeah. an extreme of the argument to yeah. illustrate the point.
2: But I I think there actually is a tension here, though, right? Because, like, the obligation to serve is really important, right? Like, this is kind of, like, the basis of thinking of electricity as like, a public utility, right? But, like, if the utility, for a good reason, believes any of their future investments, or current ones, uh, could be stranded assets, like, does that start to break down that obligation Mm -hmm. and make it harder to justify, say the obligation to serve for like an affordable housing community or is right. like, like someone we really don't want to get screwed <laughs> uh, or, or end up in a situation where like, well, they don't have <laughs> like so obligated here, power service. Here's
0: an ar- interesting question, which may be an argument for my argument, which I'm, I'm not even sure I agree with this. <laughs> I just want to like Let her rip. throw it out there. Um, is like, maybe the issue is more just like fragmentation and what if a smaller someone was like you know what i'll build i'll build wires for you I, there's uh there's a field over there i'm going to build a bunch of solar and like a gas gen set and i'll i'll run wires out to you like ch- should we let that happen and then maybe like a community pops oh, yeah. up around it and then yeah. that group would not be like socializing that across like all of like the san francisco in San Jose area right like the liability of like a fire starting in that little one region now stays maintained to the people who have decided to to live, live out here. in the
2: boonies yeah, yeah but that's I interesting you know what yeah. I mean like that's yeah.
0: more what I'm saying
2: and that, I mean that's what the state it's, is kind of grappling with right it's right, like, right. we well, have allowed the what is it the the human wildlife interface right to like stretch out so far without like questioning the social costs of that yeah yeah
1: but I think the the other question that you have to think of with obligation to serve is also if let's run through this example, right? So Wait, can
0: someone do you wanna just say what obligation to serve is for a sec?
1: Well it just requires that a utility will provide service to a new building or community, like right? Like within their territory. Within their territory. Yeah. And so let's say this community opens and some, you know, developer comes in and is like, I'm gonna create a great microgrid for you all and they're like great we don't want um utility access and then that developer now like takes advantage of them right because maybe they
2: very possible, yeah. How
1: do you, you know, how do you regulate that? And then the question there becomes, is the Public Service Commission now having to regulate like dozens or hundreds? Yeah, public of, utility, yeah. Honestly,
0: it may end up just... Many public lot utilities, more utilities,
1: which, which then <laughs> like, increases the cost of the Public Service Commission, yeah. which has, you know, efficiency, has, you know, a lot of efficiency constraints there too. So I think it really, ha- for me the wires component has to be like very strictly controlled and i think in like very small circumstances do you allow elimination of that
0: no that's a i mean that's a good point but to your earlier point like like when you get a more kind of decentralized nodal grid there's still some public connection of all them Mm -hmm. right so i'm more talking about like within whatever that community is maybe we could open up the aperture on what's possible you know they're out in the boonies and then you'd make an argument like you know what sometimes they could actually export because they've mm-hmm. built a lot of excess solar so we should have some public infrastructure like i don't know how it almost it's the third wrinkle here so like duncan your point how uh, obligation to serve comes in here is is now we have a grid that's bi-directional like that's the fundamental yep. underlying point that i don't think was true in like the diesel generator shoveling coal into a, <laughs> a furnace past like solar bat like you it's way more controllable. I don't know maybe it's not any better like it, the ability to like export like that ties into this too at at a certain mm-hmm. point obligation to serve infers like you're a recipient. Sure. But if, if you can build your own supply now, yeah. So that that's like what's actually
1: yeah, and I think there's the, there's interesting questions around the obligation to serve too because you have like Green Mountain Power, right? They have an off grid offering now. Yeah, rather than customers. run yeah. some
2: enormous line out wow. to and their state. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, you I mean know, that's sweet though.
0: That's which is, awesome. Which is great, yeah. right?
1: Because they're really thinking about the future. They recognize they have a lot of these rural people who it's like, does it make sense to socialize the cost of this extra line? Some like twenty mile line.
0: They also or, tried that with batteries, by the way. Line, or so. do
1: they? <laughs> you know provide services um, to people and like try to rethink what the utility is now i'm you know obviously like they're not the only people that could do that right. Um i think that does open up a lot of questions around like competition what right. utility should have we shouldn't go down that road today do they rate
2: base those investments i bet
0: yeah
1: because it's exactly. cheaper it's a non-wire it's probably considered yeah. non-wires alternative it's
0: yeah. a lot yeah, cheaper I mean, than building wanna... a wire could, this could be a whole rabbit yeah, hole, but like, yeah. what was there? Like, pay at ten dollars a month for a battery? That
1: was different. That was on grid. Okay. That,
0: was that was basically just was like, like, wrong, So they didn't. That was basically yeah. for like
2: DR capacity, basically. Right. Yeah. Like they so could option
0: it. The reason I brought up public safety power shutoffs earlier is that obligation to serve is very tied into like pricing risk, basically. Yeah. So. That's, that's what I meant when I said earlier, like, we're watching this unfold in California. Yeah, it's yeah. like the limits of this idea. So it's almost like to me when, like, should an insurance company be obligated to uh, insure a house that's been, like, knocked down seven times right. like, in Katrina territory? They're not. Yeah, they're oh, not. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, the obligation to serve is basically mandating sometimes that we build dangerous infrastructure in a way and then socialize that across everyone yeah that's what i was trying to yeah there's this
2: like event risk yeah yeah.
0: it seems weird to us we're like well because energy is so important to our modern economy and like everything like if you're cut off from power like forget the internet for a second you're like back in the stone age in america today you know you don't have the internet without power right exactly so it's like kind of the first thing that that matters so that I mean, I mean, I guess like that's the foundation. of Yeah, like of what if pg was just like we're not going
1: to serve territories like, anymore?
0: We've as like uh, this is getting very, uh, very out there, but you know, we decided to like settle around rivers because like we could trade or like near bodies of water or whatever. Like democracies form on coasts or you know, like there's all like this a stuff. Voslav
2: Smil book right now. Yeah, You're exactly. Like, eh. So <laughs> like
0: we've always, I mean, we've always made decisions around like the accessibility of resources, right? So, like a weird like it just feels like an artifice to like mandate. Why, when people move somewhere, they're like, "You know what? this neighborhood, they have great schools, they have uh you know it's very safe, and power's cheap, <laughs> you know so yeah, like, well, obligation to serve like almost removes our responsibility and mm-hmm. like being mm-hmm. smart about how we think about risk.
2: Yeah, well, so you're highlighting how obligation to serve can have this kind of, like, I think of it as, Perverse like, effect. Yeah, it's, like, this yeah. because of, like, geographically, like, where things are. If there is a new potential customer whom an electricity provider interprets to be, like, I, I don't know the right term, but, like, default risk. Based, like, you're not going to mm-hmm. pay your bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got to build the infrastructure there. You can't just start out. So, like, the, the situation mm-hmm. I was imagining was, like, we build... You know some affordable housing community somewhere and we do this in the era of like we're now like anybody's allowed to build wires right so they they hold a reverse auction or something they say who wants to you know build a wire to my community and start giving us power and nobody responds because they're like this is affordable housing right y'all aren't gonna pay your bills like right. see ya in theory the utility should be the backstop to that right, right. obligation to serve we all feel we're like, well, no, let's we'll just go back to how it used to work. But if I'm the utility in that situation, I'm going to say hell no, yeah. Because if I connect and they pay their bills for the next two years, that just proves to my competitors they should now connect and 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 make my assets stranded, right? Yeah. And like I think that's like a difficult. Yeah, that's the te- dynamic that's the te- that's we create. That's the tension yeah. that you're talking about. So, so like obligation to serve is not it, it's 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 a problem when we think about serving places we shouldn't. Right. And like not pricing that accordingly. But then it's the opposite issue, too, where like it's a social safety net, essentially. You're like talking a, about
0: the flip side of the argument. Yeah. It's serving, it's, making sure we serve the places we should. Like we Which serve the, everybody. Yeah. Right? Which was the
1: original intent yeah. of uh, the build and grow phase, right? Was let's make sure everyone has access to energy because it is so important. And it's why.
2: This is so we don't have like places in India where you have like transmission lines running over villages that don't have power. Right, because they're like, we're not going to connect you. Right, you're not going to pay for that. Yeah, right. So like, that's scary to me because once we get rid of franchise rights, we have to get rid of obligation to serve, or at least like, if I'm the utility, that's what I'm arguing for.
1: Well, and even even if you didn't get rid of that, and the utility now has to do it, what you're doing is you're creating all of these additional social costs that are just going on to the utility and making utility power, right? You're like, it's like that sort of classic utility death spiral where the utility is taking on all the riskiest customers yeah, and their yeah. costs are going up. But as their costs go up, it's easier for competitors to come in and take away their better customers. And so mm-hmm. they're,
2: they, sort of take that, the cream
0: does yeah. no.
1: have to be right. Like no. So that, that requirement,
0: that's like, basically that's like PG and E's argument, right? It's like, we're too big, It's like, we're too big to fail. We can't go bankrupt. Like, because... Like, you have to bail us out. Because we do... You know, it's like a public good. I mean, I don't know if that's their actual argument. But I mean, like, the crux of the issue is who has the liability on wildfires. So it's like, on the one hand, you want to force them to have it because that makes them want to take care of their wires. But on the other hand, you recognize, oh, you do have this obligation to serve. You are a public good. So we can't, like charge you or make you criminal or like put you out of business when you don't do it perfectly because we're asking you to have this public it so like all I'm trying to do is point out that that's the real trade-off that's been made yeah. and yeah I'm asking the question like do the tech underlying technologies and way that ways that we can serve customers today through cogen which wasn't a thing in the 30s or solar or well it was it but was yeah,
2: the original power plant was a cogen plant. I know, yeah. I know, I
0: know. <laughs> Which is
1: it wasn't as efficient in the 30s. The, I
0: mean, that's that's I think swirling around all this is is that question. So there, right? there's so,
2: basically like upside and downside, and maybe this all just points back to like trade-offs. The like, way to deal with this is you have like some standardized approach to appeal that's both accessible enough that it doesn't make it so only a project as massive as Hudson Yards can pull it off. Right. But still locked down enough that like we don't end up in this situation where like we have like reverse auctions on the affordable housing.
0: Whether we like to admit it or not, that process sounds great, but we're opening Pandora's box here. And like eventually, okay, you approve enough projects on a case by case basis. And then it's like, okay, what are we left with (laughs) kind of collectively and everything? So, you know, I, I'm honest. I don't. I don't have the answer. I want more projects to get improved. I think we need to be asking these questions. Um, I think it'll be like good for the space, but I haven't seen this conversation really out there. And I think it's like re- like the fundamental, like the, the the fundamentals are changing here. Like, and so we need to talk about the first principles and where they lead, because right. the decisions we're making today are are influenced them whether we like to admit it or not. So that that like I'm more again like trying to open the Overton window here, like where we can yeah. have this conversation. Yeah.
1: And I think to to Duncan's point and to tie in with that, if you start your sort of initial passes at community microgrids that are doing social good, right? That are either serving affordable air ho- housing areas or are more like community center focused then I think you can start to test out how it works and some, what some of the implications are without sort of allowing the kind of traditional way that DRs have proliferated, which is like let's let the people who have the money to do it, go do it first. right? Um, and then the cost will come down and then maybe we can start, you know, thinking about equity. I think there's like a real opportunity with franchise rights to think about it more from like, how do we serve communities first?
2: Yeah. I, <laughs> What's tough about that is, like, I agree with all of that. But then at the same time, I'm a microgrid developer who on day one ignored all of the town center microgrids because I knew they were never going to happen. Because I knew it's, like, such... um, I think that's what they called them in New Jersey, right? Town center micro... Well, whatever, community microgrids. Like, all the, like, RFPs that, like, states put out to, like, do a study, then do another study, then do another study, and, like, maybe one day we'll build a project. Like, the missing thing in there was, like, how are we going to convince the PSC and utility to let us do this? And so, so, like, I guess what I'm they can be case by case, but, like, not really. You if want to process. Because, like, if you're smart, you're not going to get involved in that because that's a rabbit hole. Like, yeah. And I like it's tough. And and I, I'm not saying that to, like, shoot down what you because, like, I agree with what you said. I, I, I don't know where I land on this no. because I just right. know, like, if it's like a specialty thing, I'm out. Cause like that's how you die. Like that's <laughs> right, how yeah, project developers business, die. Yeah. Like yeah, um, yeah. So it's that's the, why I build single taker, uh, single off taker behind the meter microgrids. Cause like there's a standard for that. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I think so. I think it's really tricky. But maybe yeah. the answer is like no. Those special situa- like the community's really got to want it and like pursue it for years.
0: Yeah.
2: Um and and get there and it's not just like quick money for somebody like me. And maybe that's okay. Like yeah. I, I don't know the answer
0: that's why i always appreciate colleen as you bring this back into the conversation my engineering brain gets going and i just like want to build the perfect system <laughs> like, no like, i love it because i feel like about you're, the you're trying to build the perfect system
1: yeah. Duncan's trying to sell projects and <laughs> i'm just here like but what about Make sure it
0: works like no but <laughs> no but like, these but are like theoretical to...
1: questions but i don't i don't sell projects right so like right. from my perspective like i can get into that like ethereal like but this Mm -hmm. is like how we want to do it for everyone and you're like yeah but then like no one makes but i'm also like what
0: i'm talking about may serve the people you're you know concerned about or the like the um better than what we're currently doing right so i'm just trying to think of like what the supreme court decision is going to be around this because that's what purple was it was like yeah i think it was a supreme court ruling so it's like well, you when, know what it's going to be. there's a project developer who's like, I have these three counterparties, and the utilities blocking me, I'm suing you guys. Or Travis, right? Like he just built a wind turbine. Like there's going to be legal proceedings out of this. Duncan, you want to end on one of your crazy ideas? I, I don't have any. Yeah, I you have, do. I have
2: a crazy energy fact I learned today. Ooh, Is great. Is that fun? Yeah. yeah. So, and it's kind of related. So, like old school coal power plants not unlike the Pearl Street Station power plant, Um, didn't have a simple way. I learned this from like a brilliant power engineer today. Didn't have a simple way to be started up, right? Like when your car starts up, it has a starter motor that like spins it up, right? Coal plant, like what do you do for that? What they would do is fill the boiler with a bunch of diesel, like open a port on the diesel, light a massive Q-tip on fire, and have a guy walk up and stick it in there <laughs> no! and just like light up the boiler. And it, it just like immediately gives like enough pressure and temperature that it like, it's like when you like spray like the stuff into your engine to like get it going. Cause it won't start. Like when your lawnmower won't start, it's that on like the gigawatt scale. Whoa.
0: Yeah. What was oh like the hazard my. paper? Like how many of those guys died? Yeah. I, know I mean, a, they, they eventually kind of stopped
2: stomach. cause they were like, this is crazy. What are we doing? Oh um, and, God. but now they like do something. You still start a coal plant with like a bunch of, diesel you just like light up or, or uh, this could be w- wrong i know nothing about this by the way this is what one person today told me
0: so, i hear that's how you do batteries too actually <laughs> how you, you start up Black a battery capability <laughs> you have to grab the positive and negative and start it with you
2: so that's all i got i have no crazy <laughs> okay. ideas just just crazy I've crazy got, fact
0: I, i'm gonna end with a crazy idea too okay I'm going to start lobbying the Bernie campaign to not shut down nuclear and just shut down coal. Do it. Like, wouldn't that be more effective? It's a great idea. It's
1: a great idea. To all our Bernie bro listeners. I'm not actually going to
0: do that because I'm, you know, I have a problem with centralized decision making sometimes, but, (laughs) (laughs) but if anyone wants to do it, I maybe look the other way this time. Yeah. What if we, what if we
2: democratically decide, decide to shut down nuclear? What position does that put you in? Me? Yeah. What
0: do you mean? I hate that.
2: I know, but if w- w- decentralized decision making gets us there.
0: Ooh. Wait, what?
2: Like if <laughs> so democratically we decide to do like that? Voted? No, that's yeah.
0: majority rule. That's still like okay. Okay, sense. I see what you say. It should <laughs> it
2: should exist. Okay, yeah, I get it. Um, James gave what? his crazy idea. I gave my crazy oh fact. Oh my gosh, Colleen, anything?
1: <laughs> I mean, I just can't believe I. Came around at all on not? I'm mostly just surprised with myself today.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what on, on like a slim kind a, of like on
1: a slim carve-out for yeah.
2: anti franchise
0: I, rights? I think I got more pro franchise rights.
2: Got more pro? Oh really? I I feel like you two came together a little bit. That's that's from, that's she
0: got less anti. Got, I got more pro. Oh I see. We're sorry just using more pro. Weird, yeah. We're using yeah more weird pro less anti. So that's <laughs> hard to no
2: yeah no. I think like there was a little slight coming together here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Task Force, that's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope we were able to capture most of the conversation that occurred during this topic's meetup. If you attended this meetup and listened to the episode, please let us know if we did a good job at that or not. Also, check out our website at dertaskforce.com. It's where you can learn about an RSVP to future events, find podcast episodes, locate slides from past events, and a few cool other things. Our next episode will be on public safety power shutoffs in California, which is actually the very first meetup topic, so it should be a fun one to revisit.